before Pastor David comes up and gives the message. I'm going to read um, several scripture passages for you today. And it'll be on the screen so you can follow along. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14. Deuteronomy 4, 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 32, 16. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. Psalm 78, verse 58. They angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. Zechariah 8, 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure version to him. In James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, yearns jealously? Let's pray together. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would gain a deeper, closer understanding of not only your will, but your heart, your feelings, your emotions. God, I pray today that you would break the strongholds and the resistance in our lives to surrender fully to you. Pray today that you would save the lost heal the sick, deliver the demonized, set free the captives, strengthen your people, and lead us all to greater joyful surrender to your lordship in our lives as we understand your great love. That not only us, but others and even the nations would ultimately be impacted by today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take you on a little journey today. Imagine for a moment that you are in your early 20s and you are in love. You spend time with this person. You greatly enjoy each other's company. You have so much in common. When you aren't together, you think about that person constantly. Of course, you have some differences, but you just seem to work them out and all is back on track. You're very physically attracted to this person. After a few years dating, you finally get engaged cannot wait to be united in holy marriage. During engagement, you continue to grow deeper in love and make arrangements for that big day. The wedding day comes, and it's all you anticipated it to be. So many family and friends are there to celebrate. You say your vows, you're pronounced husband and wife, and the celebration is full of great food, dancing, and joy. Your heart is full to overflowing. The honeymoon is great. Week of togetherness, talking, laughing, eating, and feeling intimacy, love, and connection like you never have before. You literally feel like you are one with each other in the way that the Bible describes. For the next few years, life is amazing together. Even though you have your separate schedules and jobs, pressures, demands, and so forth, you continue to work on your communication, healthy conflict resolution, quality time together and growing deeper and deeper in love. But then things begin to change. You get so busy and life just happens to where you start to drift apart. 
slow at first, and you kind of ignore it and think this is just part of being married for some time now. But then you start having different interests. You stop putting each other as number one in your life. You, you talk less. You spend less time together. And just slowly but surely, it's like a sailboat drifting from the harbor. And then you start feeling like two ships just passing in the night. Other things become more important than your spouse. Then something happens that you never dreamed would ever come into your life and marriage. You discover some text between your spouse and someone else. You dig a little further and discover they've been spending significant time together. Someone else has come between you and the love of your life. You're shocked. You're angry. You're jealous. Because that special union that God meant for you and your spouse, and only between you and your spouse, has been threatened. A third party has come where no one else belongs. Now that anger and jealousy can lead you to do something very harmful and sinful. But you remember Ephesians 4.26, be angry and sin not. So you decide to use that anger and jealousy to fight for your marriage, for what is rightfully yours, because you still love your spouse so much, and God wants the two of you to have a godly and loving marriage. You sacrifice, you pursue, and you fight to restore your marriage. You see, your jealousy is that intense emotion you feel because something has come between you and what God wants for your marriage. If you are not jealous, then you would not really care about your marriage. These intense feelings, though painful to bear, are because of your great love for your spouse and your desire for a properly exclusive marital relationship with that person. This story, beloved, is a little glimpse into the jealousy of God, which is our topic today. Eric Thonis, who got his Ph.D. from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, where I went to seminary, and he's now an evangelical free church pastor in California, says this, God is the husband of his people, and we are his bride. To worship any God but the true God is spiritual adultery. And any husband who does not care if his wife commits adultery most certainly does not love her. Now, you've probably noticed that many of the passages that Mark read mention God being jealous about idols and false gods, things that we have allowed in our lives that come between us and that exclusive relationship with him that we're supposed to have. For example, Psalm 78, they angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. Do you see the emotion of God here? If you think God is some unemotional, stoic being in the heavens that spins the universe into existence and then basically doesn't really care about that which is happening on earth, you don't understand the true God. Because the true God created you, loves you, and so desires a relationship with you and me that if anything comes in the way of that, it arouses intense emotions within the very Godhead. Zechariah 8 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I'm very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Jealousy is intense love. Tim Keller defines jealousy as angry love that stays love. It's angry love that doesn't sin because God can't sin. So God himself models Ephesians 4.26, be angry but sin not. It's angered love that remains love. Because see, the reason people get confused about the jealousy of God is they think of jealousy only as we understand jealousy and in the way in which we're commanded to not be jealous. We're told to not covet. We're told to not be jealous in a sinful way. Sinful jealousy is wanting something you shouldn't have. <laughs> You're jealous because that woman 
uh, has a better figure than you. You're, you're jealous about the guy who, who just bought a new truck and you're Covington coveting his truck you're jealous of the guy who has a better pay or salary or house you see it's wanting something you're not supposed to have or wanting something that's not yours that's entirely different than having a deep intense longing and desire for that which is rightfully yours (laughs) praise god he cares enough about us to have emotion aroused within him when something comes between the intimacy that he deserves to have with us. Lest you think this is just an Old Testament idea about God, (laughs) 2 Corinthians 11, Paul felt a holy jealousy for the Corinthians. Now, let me remind you a little about church history. The church at Corinth, you know, I I always kind of humors me when somebody says, We want to be a New Testament church. Well, which New Testament church? You don't want to be like Corinth. (laughs) They had all kinds of sin in the camp. This church was very carnal, fleshly. Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Ah, you can have ungodly jealousy, which is what we usually experience. You can have godly jealousy. Come on. You can have righteous anger, Jesus in the temple, unrighteous anger. See? And he says, I have a jealousy for you that's a godly jealousy. You and I can experience godly jealousy in our lives. Why? Because Paul said, I promised you to one husband. See this amazing language in Scripture about Jesus being the groom, and we are his bride. (laughs) These are the kind of verses and and concepts that convince me, many things convince me that this book is the Word of God. Old Testament prophecies about Jesus was the biggest thing that convinced me this book is the Word of God. But it's these kind of things that I just go, there is no way in our greatest creativity that we would ever come up with a concept that God is the groom and we're the bride. And we just wouldn't do that. And it's, again, another reason why I believe this book is divinely inspired. It's the Holy Scriptures. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit. Beloved, this is God's Word. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you and I need to be in this book every day. Blessed is the man who meditates on the Word day and night. And so he says, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I, as the help person who helped start this church, he's an apostle, he's a pastor, he's, he's a discipler, that I might present you. This was his longing as their leader, present you as a pure virgin to him. He understood that when they go after other things, it's like spiritual adultery. That's the analogy we see in so many of these passages. All right, listen carefully. I just want to give you a quick summary of the gospel and how it fits into this. God is the creator of the universe. God created you. He wove you in your mother's womb. He knows when you rise and when you fall, when you sleep, when you awake. He knows everything about you. (laughs) And despite knowing all of our failures and tendencies away from him, he loves you. He wants you to be in relationship with him. But it's because of our sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of his perfection. The wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And nothing that we can do can erase that sin. There's a stain on our clothing that no human stain remover can deal with. No amount of works, no amount of giving money, no amount of church attendance, no amount of benevolence or religion can remove that stain, that cancer called sin in our heart. Only one thing can remove that stain. Only one thing can take care of that barrier between us and God, and it's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He took your sin. He took my sin. He took the judgment and the anger and the wrath of God for sin and he bore it on his body at the cross. Amen? God made him who knew no sin 
to be sent on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When we realize our need for Christ, when we see our sin, when we understand the gospel of the cross, we repent by the grace of God, we turn from sin and we put our faith and trust in Christ alone as the remedy, not religion, not good works, but in Jesus Christ alone. When we put our faith and trust in him, the Bible says a miracle happens in a moment in time. It's called being born again. It's called being saved. It's called being redeemed. It's called being reconciled to God. It's where he imputes the righteousness of Jesus into you. You are then declared a child of God. You are accepted by God. You are promised eternal life. And then, to go further, he takes up residence within you through the Holy Spirit. He also says that you become at that moment his bride. He's the groom. You're the bride. At that moment in time, you are wedded to him. You say, I do, and there's a holy covenant established between you and God. Now, like any earthly marriage, our relationship with God has its ups and downs, its trials, its tribulations. There's times you don't feel close to God, times you do. Times you're passionate for your spouse, times you're not. But God, as your groom, stays infinitely, eternally committed to you through covenant love. He will never divorce you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then if you come to that point where you tend to drift from him, which we all do at times, his indwelling spirit, his indwelling power, begins to convict you, discipline you, and woo you back because he sees you going after other lovers. And he's threatened by that in the sense that those other gods in our lives inhibit the closeness that we are created to have with him. And when you and I allow those things to come into our lives, false gods, carnality, we begin to live for the world, the flesh, and the devil. We begin to drift away from him, just like the story I was telling earlier. God doesn't sit idle. <laughs> he actively will pursue, discipline, woo you back by his covenant love so that you would repent and come back into that relationship for which you were created. A book that I highly recommend every believer read, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He says this, God's jealousy is a zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge it when broken. This sort of jealousy is a positive virtue. See, maybe prior to today you only saw jealousy in a negative light. Well, you need today to see it in a positive light. It shows a grasp of the true meaning of the husband-wife relationship together with a proper zeal to keep it intact. God is jealous of that relationship that comes before Him in your life. Hello? You're dating somebody. You're courting somebody. They're not a follower of Jesus. They're not helping you love Jesus more. But you're maybe, I'm doing missionary dating, Pastor. I'm going to lead them to Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. I've seen far more cases where missionary dating leads the believer to fall further away from God than to lead the unbeliever to get saved. And there's a reason the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. So you're dating somebody and you know in your heart it's not pleasing to God. That is spiritual adultery. It is hindering your walk with God. And God has a holy jealousy about that. He's jealous of that item. You just have to buy over and over to make yourself feel good. Perhaps he's jealous of that hobby that occupies so much more of your time than you spend with him. Maybe he's jealous of that sports team that gets more of your affections on Saturday than God gets on Sunday. I'm not looking at anybody. God is jealous of that bank account that's used far more for temporal things than on the expansion of his kingdom. Perhaps God is jealous at times of that TV or computer or phone that is watched and used more to satisfy your flesh than to feed your spirit. God just might be jealous when you spend more time in front of a mirror 
getting ready for the day looking at yourself than you spent looking at God in the Word and prayer. What is it in your life that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now because He loves you? (laughs) Right now, He's bringing it to your mind. There's an area of your life that if you're honest, and we need to be because God sees all, if we're not honest, we're only hiding it from ourselves, that is hindering the relationship with you that He desires. Today's really about lordship. Jesus being Lord of our lives. My definition of holy jealousy is this. God's jealousy is a zeal to protect that which rightfully belongs to him. It's a zeal to protect that which rightfully belongs to him. Next slide, please. When I was in college, my first vehicle was an Opal GT. Come on now. They called it poor man's vet. Because <laughs> it kind of looks like a Corvette, but, but it's, it's not, and I could never have afforded that. has a little hump on the, you know, where the carburetor is. There's a hump. Y'all remember that? Y'all anybody remember? Oh, it was, it was cool, man. I'm telling you. To get the light, you know, the lights, you had this lever. You push it, and the lights flip over. I mean, I was, I was doing it. I mean, I was. And that, that was, I got it my senior year in high school, and I had it all through college. But then after I graduated from UGA in 1983, yes, I'm old, then I moved to Minneapolis, and it was too low to the ground to handle the snow and the ice up there. Wish I had never sold it. One of the biggest mistakes I've ever made. Wish I put that thing under a storage shed, man. But it was cool. Well, it had something else that anybody under 30 probably doesn't even know what it was, an 8-track player. Come on. How many remember 8-track player? Woo! Look at that. So a lot of college students over here, nobody's raising their hand. It went eight track, cassette, then CDs, and who knows what it is now. But it had an eight track player. Well, it got stolen. My, my eight, somebody broke into my Opal GT, stole my eight track player. So I had this anger and jealousy for whoever was using it. Now, had the whole car been stolen? I paid for that. I sacrificed for that. If somebody had stolen my Opal GT and I saw it being driven around Athens, I would have, I'm not sure I would have been a holy jealousy, but, but I would have had a jealousy because they have what's mine. That's mine. I paid for it. I sacrificed for it. Come on, you see what I'm saying? That's just a, I mean, that's a terrible even attempt at the enormous way in which God gave his life for us. You see, here's the deal. Our jealousy would cause us to kill. (laughs) Come on. I mean, if somebody, and and, and spouses have killed spouses. (laughs) They've killed the the person the the spouse had an affair with because of that hot anger jealousy, right? Get this. God, God's jealousy doesn't kill His jealousy dies. His jealousy went to the cross for you and me to purchase us with the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we rightfully belong to him. James chapter 4. Again, this language of marriage crazy you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world one of the questions in first service great question how how do we know if we're becoming a friend of the world in an ungodly way i'll answer that during the q a if you'll ask again (laughs) friendship with the world is hatred toward god anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world i'll just add this You know, the things of the world, whatever that is, get get your affections more, get your commitment more, get your time more. And I understand, okay, we all, we got to work a job. This doesn't mean that, okay, I go to, I work eight hours a day at my job, but I only spend 30 minutes with the Lord that day. That doesn't mean that you love your job more than Jesus. 
it's, it's your heart, beloved. It's, it's your attitude at work. It's your passion at work. It's why are you there? You're there to provide for your family. You're there to invest in the kingdom. You're there to, to be a witness and a light for Jesus, you see? It, so it's, it's not, this is not all easily determined based on quantity of time or even money. We have to spend things on what we have to spend things on. But let me just give you an example. If you're not tithing, Jesus is not Lord of your finances, period. Didn't just guilt anybody or create legalism. If you can't even give 10% to God, and that's a direct command, Malachi 3, if you don't tithe, you're robbing me. God says that. I've tithed since the day I got saved. It's not even hard for me. I'm up to about 18% now. I want it to be 30, 40, 50% because I don't want to leave treasures on earth. But seriously, be honest. If you can't even give God the first 10%, and that's clearly commanded in Scripture, He's not Lord of your money. So just repent of that today and begin to change. But it's, it's, it's not, that's one that's pretty objective. Most of these are more subjective. So is your job more important than Jesus? Well, that's something you just have to go before the Lord about. He has, you got to let the light of the Holy Spirit evaluate your heart. A lot of pastors, hello, put their ministry before their marriage. A lot of wives feel like the church is his mistress. So how do I know if I'm putting the church before Dee Dee in our marriage? Well, I need to ask her. <laughs> Dee Dee, do you feel like I put the church before you? If so, how? Then I need to hear that and repent. In the same way, you ask God, is, is my hobby, is my hunting, is my truck, is my uh, jewelry, ladies, is my children? Oh, oh, we didn't even do this in first. This must be the Lord's. Here's a big one. Okay, I pick on the guys a lot here, right, Susan? A lot of examples are pretty male-oriented. Don't pick on you ladies. A lot of mothers, their children are the idol in their life. Children come before the husband. Children come before God. Boy, one of the things I cover in pre-marriage counseling is I sit that couple down, it's like... I'll speak to the man on a lot of issues. Anybody that's been in my office knows I'll get the man hard. But the woman, I'll say, now, when you start having children, <laughs> I know they were in you, and I know they were connected, and I know the cord was cut, but be real careful that you don't become more a mom than a wife. So some women struggle with children becoming the idol god mm, god might be jealous in a holy way of the children that you've born you give far more emotion to them than you do to god what do they say about mom's only as happy as the least happy child <laughs> you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward god anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world you we choose we make choices becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think, this is the really interesting part of this passage. Again, these kind of verses, 100% convince me this is a divine book. Do you not think that Scripture says without reason, now check this out, that the Spirit He calls to live in us. Remember I said, when, what happens when you get saved? You get the Holy Spirit. He indwells your heart. Well, what's one of the purposes or functions of the Holy Spirit? He's to, he, he lives in us, and as we've learned in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he transforms us by his spirit from one degree of glory to the next. In this case, he envies intensely or yearns jealousy. Wow. So here's one of the cool ministries of the Holy Spirit. God puts his Holy Spirit in you to make you more like Jesus, to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to motivate your behavior, to move you, to empower you, to give you gifts. A lot of functions of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been around here very long, you know we believe, we believe, we believe in the Holy Ghost. This is a church that still believes that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Bible is not the Trinity. We believe in the Bible, you've heard me say it, but the, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. And one of his functions is to envy intensely when there's a rival. When there's a rival to his lordship, when there's things in our lives that might inhibit him doing what he wants to do, what happens? God gets strong emotions called jealousy. 
He envies intensely. Let me give you a diagram. I used it a few weeks ago. We are body, soul, spirit. Our spirit is our heart. The Holy Spirit who indwells us is designed to live through us and change us from the inside out. Here's what happens when we allow things in our lives to come before our relationship with God or to rival God. So here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's wanting to work, you see? He's wanting to do changes. He's wanting to empower us. He's wanting to move us and change us. But sin blocks. The Holy Spirit kind of hits a roadblock. Or a hobby, if that hobby is more important in my life than God, it inhibits God working. Or finances or a relationship. It could be anything. You fill in the box. That's what James 4, I believe, is teaching. You know, deep down we know, don't we, that only God can truly satisfy, only God can truly give us purpose and meaning and joy and victory, but prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Paul, who'd been a Christian many, many years before he wrote Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And so this struggle is normal. Every Christ follower feels this tension. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil are powerful opposing agents to the lordship of Christ in our lives. All right, we're almost time for questions. The Bible tells us an amazing story in the book of Hosea to communicate this great love of God. And that is where Hosea, who represents God, is told to marry Gomer, a prostitute. God tells Hosea to marry her and love her and be faithful to her, even though she will not be faithful to him. Hosea will feel jealousy for her unfaithfulness. But when when she is all used up and back on the auction block to be sold again as a prostitute, he is to pay the price to buy her back as his rightful spouse. And he does. God does all of this to give us a picture of his amazing, jealous, covenant love. Hosea 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, Go, show yourself again to your wife. He was already married to her, and she went wayward. And in her prostitution, she gets all used up and abused, and she's back on the auction block to go to the highest bidder to once again commit adultery, and Hosea pays the price to buy her. Folks, we would never make up such a story. (laughs) And this is all because God says, though she's loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves you. Though we go to other gods. Why would we not surrender fully to this amazing God? (laughs) And so I hope now you have a clearer picture of what it means that God is a jealous God. His jealousy is a holy jealousy where he longs to protect and secure that which is rightfully his, and that's you and me. So this is why Exodus 20 would say, you shall have no other gods before me. This is why Mark 12 would say, love the Lord with all your heart. This is why Colossians 1 would say that Jesus might have first place in everything. This is why Romans 12 would say, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what they say is the problem with living sacrifices? They get off the altar. (laughs) They jump off the altar. We do jump off the altar, don't we? This is why Jesus would say to the rich young ruler, sell your possessions and then come follow me. He didn't say that to everybody. He identified that that guy's money was his Lord. This is why he would say to the man who says, I'll come follow you, Jesus, but let me first go bury my dad. That was a very patriarchal culture, and it was very obligatory for the son to make sure he took care of of the dad and the family. And Jesus said, you're putting your family before me. Ooh. Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. This is why he would say things like, unless you hate, compared to love, 
your mother, father, and I think it even says wife in one passage. Deity is to be the most important priority in my life after Jesus. Wow. He messes with our stuff, doesn't he? (laughs) Because he loves us. The bottom line is Jesus deserves to be Lord of our lives. When we put people or things before him, he has a holy jealousy. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body or in your whole life. We'll take questions in a minute. I'm going to give you quickly, very quickly, 10 reasons why Jesus deserves to be Lord of our lives. Number one, so go fast. He is worthy. There is no higher being, no more powerful being, no more worthy being than Jesus Christ. Wayne Grudem says God's jealousy is where he continually seeks to protect his own honor because he's the most worthy being in the universe. If there was a more worthy being, he would tell us to worship and submit to that being. (laughs) But there's not. Number two, he created us. He wove us in our mother's womb. We are created by him and for him. Number three, his will is the best for us. So if you don't submit to the lordship of Jesus, ultimately you're cheating yourself. Because Romans 12 says his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. The best thing for you is to live under the lordship of Jesus. So if you don't, you cheat yourself out of that for which you were created to experience. Number four, he bought us with his blood. Number five, he is completely faithful to us, just like Hosea loving Gomer. Number six, he alone can meet our deepest needs. Our attempts to meet our deepest needs are like leaky cisterns in Jeremiah that hold no water. His bucket has no leaks. Number seven, he is forever married to us. He will never break covenant. Number eight, he lives inside of us. He he, he demonstrates his deep desire for intimacy by literally coming and living inside of us. Wow. Number eight, or number nine, he transforms us from the inside out. He does the work in us as we cooperate with him. And number 10, he has prepared an eternal home for us. Again, demonstrating how intimacy, closeness with you and me is his ultimate goal, so much so that he says, I'm going to create a place called heaven where I can dwell with my people forever in perfect fellowship. I will no longer have jealousy because nothing will come between us for all of eternity. And I don't know about you, but that truth, that reality, motivates me to live fully for him here. Because I want to stand before him one day and hear those incredible words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come now and enjoy your eternal bliss with me. Amen. All right, let's take some questions. You can hold your hand up. A mic will be brought to you. You can write a question on the bottom of the sermon notes. There's now a little space there. You can write down a question and hand it to one of these guys. You can text the question to this number. That works really well. Questions related to this topic. The Bible says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. What does it look like for me to live as God's friend? As what? As God's friend. As God. What does it look like for me to live as God's friend rather than a friend of the world? Gotcha. God's friend. Thank you. Again, this is hard to answer because what for one would be friendship with the world may not be for another. A great example was given by Kevin Stout in the first service. He says, I have a real passion for Jeeps. He built a Jeep from scratch. Now, because of his love for Jeep, it's opened doors for him. He's become a part of this Jeep club. And he's led two people to Christ through that Jeep club. In that case, now, I think he he has to always watch this. It can become so obsessive that he neglects his marriage, neglects his relationship with the Lord. But I would say, man, for him, 
That's probably a good hobby. Got to keep it in, in balance. Uh, but you could have another guy who's really into Jeeps, never comes to church, uh, spends tons of money on his Jeep, never even ties to God, neglects his marriage. I'd probably say the Holy Spirit's probably jealous of that Jeep in a good way. You see what I'm saying? And so that guy, that might be friendship with the world. Kevin, not. It's, it's so, and I'm kind of glad to answer this way. It's, it's, it's not always objective. It's, it's putting our lives under the microscope of the Holy Spirit. I mean, here would be my bottom line today. If you say, how do you want me to leave this service? How do you want me to respond to this message? Lay your life under the microscope of the Spirit. Invite God to search your heart, search your money, search your schedule, search your emotions. You know, for one guy, Georgia Bulldogs football might be a little obsessive and God might be jealous of that in a holy way, another person not. I mean, it's, it's really between you and God. And let the Holy Spirit, if you're sincerely coming before Him, He will show you. If you're truly saying, search me, O God, and know my heart, Psalm 139. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, here's a great question. God, is there something in my life you're jealous of? It's a great question. And really sit before the Lord and what he shows you, then don't try to change it yourself. Invite the power of the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this area of my life. Help me repent. Show me what I need to do to alter this in line with your will. Uh, change my desires. That's a great prayer to pray. I have such a passion for you fill in the blank. And I, it's, it's, it's out of balance. It, I have greater passion for that than I do for you, God, if I'm really honest. God, would you change my desires? Because he works, Philippians 4, 2, 13, he works both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Um, my question's trying to get at how you know something is a godly response to jealousy or not. So, for example, God knows I love green tea, so he takes that away from me because I run to green tea for focus or caffeine instead of running to him for discernment. Um, for example, let's say the boyfriend that I don't have um, was cheating, and my godly response is to godly bring it up to him and the godly woman that he's talking to. So how would I know that I'm godly doing that instead of somebody's going to die? Instead of, yeah, instead of in the flesh? Yeah. Are there kids in here? Yeah, there are kids in here. Motive. Motive, motive. Okay. The motive will, I believe motive will answer that question. What is my motive? If my motive is to bring great harm to them, that's not love. Love is doing the highest good for the other regardless of the cost of self. Okay? So... Spouse having an affair, I have jealousy and anger. I want to make sure I don't sin in that, okay? And this is going to take a work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be willing to, re to forgive. If they're repentant, I'm going to forgive. And, I, and I'm actually going to, this is really crazy, but it's Romans 14. I'm going to pray for that other person, for God's will to be done in their life. But to me, a huge thing, a huge part of the answering that is motive. What is my motive? Do I want God's will or do I just want what David wants? And so that's the battle of the flesh and the spirit. There will be that battle in these type of situations. My flesh will want this, but my spirit's saying this. Man, I got to be filled with the spirit to go here and not there. I need godly people in my life to help me go here, not there. You see? Good question. Couple others. I've never found a situation where that definition of love doesn't help me. Doing the highest good for the other, regardless of the cost to self. Kent Summerfield, the cross of sunset, gave me that. Yes. I'm sorry. All right, anybody, one over here, Charlie? Maybe one or two more. By the way, again, you can email me questions during the week because your questions help me as I finalize the chapter in my new book, which will be focusing on each of these topics we've been addressing during this series.
Hey, Pastor David. Um, I guess before I ask my question, uh, I have no cell service in here, and I was trying to look up specifically the scripture I have in my head saying a man shall not divorce his wife except for the grounds of sexual immorality. Is that true? Yeah. All right. So how do you take a scripture? And, like and uh, an unbeliever leaving the believer. Okay. Those are the two biblical grounds. All right. How do you reconcile verses like that with um, the book of Hosea and the whole concept behind it? Yeah. Like when or how far, I guess, would you say that jealousy goes? I guess like how long should a husband pursue his wife? No magical answer. No magical answer. Yeah. It's it's a each situation, seek God, seek godly counsel. Because even if there is a biblical out, so to speak, you know, what would what would be the thing that would honor God the most? I mean, it's it's just there's nobody can give a clear I mean it's just you gotta seek the Lord. And I'm not I'm not trying to do a cop out here. But just because you have a biblical grounds doesn't mean you necessarily take that road. But God does give that exception for a reason. And it shows how much, how important sexual fidelity is in a marriage. All right, one more. Oh, go ahead. Bring the mic there and then this one. There are a lot of Christians with very sensitive consciences. And it's easy to see anything that I like or anything that I joy, enjoy uh, being something that God wants to take away. Yeah. I, I that's, see it all the time. How do you deal with that? Yeah, he, he, again, put it on the microscope of the Holy Spirit. Your, your desire and your joy in that or your enjoyment of that might be of him. It might be a way for you to uh, witness. Um, I've developed a relationship with my neighbor because I've recently taken up pickleball. I used to play tennis in high school. I was really good, and my knee won't allow me to do it anymore. And somebody said, you could, should, take, should take up pickleball. And I've done it, and I love it. And it's allowed me to develop a relationship with my neighbor that I never would have had. So I, I, think, I think, you know, the more we're seeking God and the Holy Spirit's filling us, the more our desires will be from Him. He gives gifts. He gives desires. He gives passions. You know, I, I think Kevin's example in the first service is great. I don't have a passion for Jeeps. I could care less. I don't, I don't have that mechanical deal. You know, but Kevin does, and look at how it's been used by God in his life. And, um, you know, I tell guys all the time that really are into hunting, and it can get obsessive. I know that. But, man, find a way for that hobby to be used of God. Redeem the time the days are evil. <laughs> Redeem means buy back. Buy back the hobby. Buy back the interest. Buy back the whatever. And, and see if God might use it for his glory. So it doesn't mean we have to punt all those things that we enjoy doing. They might be things that God's put in our hearts. Because we're to love him with all our heart soul, that's mind, will, and emotions, strength, that's body. <laughs> Every part of our life is to be being sanctified. It's one of the joys of walking with God. One more. Um, in response to uh, Charlie's question, uh, I know you talked about laughing God and how, um, and how God seems to um, laugh, at, laugh at, at them being prideful in the, in the sin that they're pursuing. So I guess in I guess so. In response to that, with people who are, um, with people who are so, uh, I guess, content in pursuing that divorce or pursuing that um, that situation, uh, would you say that would you say that the laughing God tends to come to play there a little bit, or would that be a little bit too? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. The the when my sermon on the laughing God was more about from Psalms two that he laughs at those who, who sin with a high hand, think they're more important than him, think they can get away with him seeing and bringing justice. That's more the context of Psalms 2. Uh, I would say that person that you just described, that is maybe his grief more would kick in. Gotcha. Like when he looked over Jerusalem and grieved, he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And this is the amazing thing about God is all of his emotions can be happening at the same time, unlike ours sometimes, and be perfectly holy. But the motivational factor in all of his emotion, I believe, is love. 
Father, we thank you for who you are. We praise you that you love us with this covenant, loyal, steadfast, persevering, long-suffering love. God, I pray that you will help us understand your anger, your jealousy, accurately. Now, God, we ask you to show us what it is that you might be jealous of in our life. If you're here today and you've not received Jesus, God is knocking at the door of your heart. He will not barge in. He, it says, if you open the door, you have to open the door. Invite him in. Surrender your life to him. He created you for him. Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Receive him now. If you are a Christ follower, what is it that you need to surrender to him? I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I'm just going to open the altar here and begin to come now. If you need to just kneel and pray here at the front, I'd like to ask our prayer and prophetic team to make your way to the sides, corner of the room. Some of you need prayer today. Maybe you're wrestling with an area of surrender and you just want somebody to pray for you. Maybe you need to hear it from God. You just need a prophetic word. Some of these people can, can really hear God and give you a prophetic word. You just need that support or prayer. Maybe you're burdened for somebody and you want somebody to intercede with you about that person that you know is not living for Jesus. I believe the Lord would say to each of us today, know that I feel intense jealousy when you put other things or people before me. This is not because I am selfish, but rather because of how deeply I love you and want our relationship to be the priority it deserves. And also because I know when you put me first, you'll experience the highest joy and fulfillment in life. Beloved, surrender. Yield every area to God. Invite the Holy Spirit to do a new and a fresh work in you. Quietly stand. Encourage you to get prayer now. Come to the front. Don't put off what you know you need to do.